we're starting a new series today. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be um, in the book of Psalms. So over the next few weeks, different Psalms, we're going to jump around and see some of this. We're calling it Playlist. And many of you, I know, have a playlist somewhere, but I want to find out you quickly raise your hand, which one you use, what app you use to play music. Some of you are Spotify, probably the most popular. How many Spotify people do we have in here? A few of you, Amazon Music, maybe a couple, or maybe one, two. All right, we got it, sold. Um, Apple Music, some Apple fans. All right, a few more in here. It's a new one that I found this week, um, Title. Anyone, no one all morning uses that. All right, never mind. Google Play, maybe. A few, no Google fans in here either. I use Pandora. I know I can't make my own list with that and play it, but I just, I don't like choosing, so I let them choose for me, right? Pandora. How many of you, by raising your hand, have no clue what I'm talking about? Anybody in here have no, I, okay, that's what I assume there would be a, a couple. Um, oh, let me go back. Mixtapes. Does anybody that's a little older know what a mixtape is? A mixtape? I think the best mixtape I ever made was some 80s hair bands. And it was their ballads. The ballads from the 80s hair bands. That was the best. Um, that was a great mixtape. Even there, RD, you still with me? Maybe. Jukebox? We got that? We know what a jukebox is? All right. We, we got jukebox in the house. We know what that is. That would be an old-style playlist. You put some money in, you choose. Um, the Pizza Hut in the town I grew up in had a, had a jukebox. And if you got there early enough in the evening before somebody else put $2 worth of quarters in um, that would play the rest of the evening, you got to choose a couple of songs you wanted, right, and, and play that. Well, just a few years before the jukebox came out, David wrote some psalms. All right. It was pretty close, pretty close on when that was around about the same time. But King David, um, in the Old Testament, he wrote the book of Psalms is actually what we could, I would consider it the Old Testament um, playlist. It was a collection of songs that David wrote. And I know it doesn't sound like songs when we read them today, but in his language back then, they were, these were songs that he would sing, and now we've got them as psalms. It could be considered the, the hymnal for the early church and what they would sing. Um, most of them were written by David. Now, not all of them. There were a few throughout this book that is not written by David, but I want to give you an overview. Before we jump into the psalm that we're in today, a little overview so you get an understanding of this idea of psalms. There's 150 of them that are written that we have in the Old Testament, and you can break them up into about five different categories. Traditionally, they're in five. I'm sure there's a couple more that you can break them into, but traditionally, the study goes, there's five. Um, Here they are. One is uh, psalms of lament. Psalms of lament. This would be categorizing them of sorrow, the ones of sorrow or grief, where somebody, David, is crying out for help. You know, dear God, I've done this, or I'm in this position. Please help me. And his heart is breaking, and he's grieving. There's sorrow within him. Those would be songs of... Now, the greatest majority of all of these, about one-third of the psalms, are psalms of lament. Most of them fit into this category, or the biggest um, section of them do. We have songs of praise. So the psalms of praise would be directed towards God. Who is God? 
how great he is, the creator of the universe, what he has done for us, and this big overarching view of God and who he is and what he can do. The Psalms of Thanksgiving are similar, but they're more specific to us. So these would be Psalms that David wrote more specific to him and what his experience in life and what he went through and how God helped him specifically. And then we could translate that into us and what has happened with us in our lives. Then we have the Psalms of Wisdom. These, these are good as well. You'll recognize these. These um, talk about the truth of God and how God can help us. And by studying his word and his truth, when truth comes out, how we can grow from that. Then we have Psalms of Royalty. This would also be Psalms that um, they would traditionally call Psalms of Enthronement. And this would be, these are fun because um, there's a big idea with this. The focus is on Jesus. All right, now get this. David, who wrote most of these, was essentially the great, 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 great times, however many, I don't remember, grandfather of Jesus. And so here is King David writing songs about the coming Messiah, who is Jesus, who he's a great grandfather of. Very cool. And whether it's direct or indirectly, these songs that are written about the coming Messiah. Now, within these categories, you can break them up into subcategories. There's other parts that we can get down into some details with. And today we're going to study out of the psalm, one of the Psalms of Lament. But it is, we're going to call it a Psalm of Confession. A Psalm of Confession. And now some of you are thinking, man, I wish he'd go back to the... He was just in a, I just did a series here at this church on finances, and some of you are thinking, go back to that. Can you preach about money? I really don't want to confess anything. Confession's hard, right? This is tough. Psalm 51 is this one, though. This is where we're going to be today. Psalm 51. It is a great example of a psalm of confession, probably the most famous psalm of confession um, in this category of lament, and, and not because of what he says in the psalm, but because of the backstory. Because of the reason that he wrote it. Why did he write this psalm? This one's very famous. So if, you, if you're there, if you have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible and you want like a paper Bible, there's some on either side of the room. You can grab if you have your phones and get your Bible apps open and find Psalm 51. And before we jump into verse 1, let's go to that backstory. And some of you, most of you, if you have this in your Bible, you're going to see a sentence before it even starts. So Psalm 51 Zero um, would be the, the verse on this. And it says this, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Whoa. I, there wasn't reality TV back then, but if this were reality TV, this would be the, the section that they would show over and over and over trying to get you to watch the whole series. All right, this is the juicy stuff. This is the stuff that, man, I want to know what happened here. All right, so let's go back. First and Second Samuel tell the story of David. So if you want to know some of the things that he wrote in Psalms, you go back to First and Second Samuel and read through his life, and you'll find a connection between these two. So David, he was a shepherd. When he was a little boy growing up, he was a shepherd. He was the one that went out. His dad sent him out with lunch to his brothers. They were fighting in a battle. There was a giant on the other side. His name was Goliath. Some of you know the story, David and Goliath. And he took a sling and a rock, and he, he flung it around and hit Goliath in the head with the rock, and it killed him. He became a great warrior. Um, he was very good at... Um, being a warrior and in his army and conquering other armies. He was excellent at this. He eventually became the king of Israel. So this is King David, King David, the king of Israel. And 
there was a time that after a while, his, his army had gone out many times. He was leading this. But after a while, I said, I'm tired. I need a break. So he sent his army away on a mission, and he stayed home. It's usually when bad things happen, right? That's usually when you let your guard down and things happen. So he was home. His army was out fighting, and he took a walk on his rooftop one time. The roofs were flat back then, and so he was up, and his was taller than everybody else's. He was on the palace, so he was walking around. He could see on top of all the other roofs, and he looked down, and a couple houses over, there was this woman who was taking a bath on the top of her roof. Now, I trust the character of David. There's something about David that we all know that he was a man of character. So I tend to think that maybe the first time he saw that, he hit his eyes, he turned away, he walked away, he said, oh, I can't, I can't look at that. I shouldn't watch. Because that was his character. That would be who he is. But I also know he's a guy. And this is tough. He probably thought, I can't get that image out of my head. And so the next week or the next day, whenever it was, instead of glancing real quick, he, he, he maybe looked twice and said, oh, I can't do this, and walked away. Maybe the, the next day or the next week, and instead of glancing twice, he stopped and looked a little longer. And the next time, maybe he stared a little bit. And the next time, he was planning his time of when he walked out on his roof, hoping that she would be there at the same time, Finally got to the point where he said, I can't take it anymore. I'm the king. I'm going to invite her over. So he found out who she was, invited her over to his palace. Now, he was married, she was married, but they had an affair. This lady, her name was Bathsheba. She became pregnant with David's son. Well, David thought, oh no, I've got to do something about this. How can I fix this? I've got to fix this. So he finds out who her husband is, and her husband happens to be one of his best warriors. One of his best warriors out on the field fighting for him. So he calls for him to come back, and he says, I got it. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to compliment him. I'm going to send him home for some rest and relaxation with his wife. They'll think it's his baby. Boom, problem solved, right? He does that. He brings him home. But this guy, his name is Uriah. Uriah says, I can't go home to my wife while all my buddies are out fighting. That wouldn't be fair. He doesn't go home. And David says, oh, I made a mistake. I didn't get him drunk first. That's what I should have done. So he brings him back in and says, good job, but here's some drinks. He got him drunk, hoping that he would go. I know, this is in the Bible, guys. If you haven't read that part, you got to read this stuff. It's in here. He sends him to his home, but he still says, I can't do that. My, my buddies are out fighting. I can't do it. David has a big problem now. His plan isn't working. So he goes to an extreme, makes it even worse. He writes a note to the general of the army, sends Uriah back out to the field, and he says to the general of the army, put Uriah on the front lines, and when the battle gets heated, when the battle gets hot, pull back and leave him out there. He murdered him. In a sense, he killed this guy. When Bathsheba was done grieving, he took her as his wife. She had this baby, and not too soon after that, that baby dies. Now, we don't see that David's heartbroken at this point. It takes somebody else, a friend of his named Nathan. Nathan comes to him. He's a prophet, and he comes to David. And it's a great story as well how, David, how Nathan gets to David. Nathan says, tells him a story about a rich farmer and a poor farmer. And the rich farmer steals from the poor farmer. And David gets mad, and he says, we got to convict him. 
we got to take this to trial. We're going to kill that rich farmer. And that's when Nathan says, that rich farmer is you. And at that point, David understands what he had done. And his heart is broken. And he realizes that he, he sinned. He actually, he broke, he broke um, number six, number seven, number nine, and number ten of the Ten Commandments. Those are the ones that he broke. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not lie, do not, do not covet your neighbor's stuff, even his wife. Okay, let me ask you a question then. You don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you have sinned? I know how many hands should go up if we were raising hands. Okay, let's narrow it down to the last week. How many this last week even? Okay, maybe not six and seven. Those are pretty, you know, big. But nine and ten, those are pretty easy to get away with. No one's really going to know. One and two, man, we can still put on a pretty good show and no one knows. Could you write a song about your confession of those sins? What song would you sing? And, you know, confession, we push back against that. We really don't like this. I don't want to be judged. Don't tell me I'm a sinner. Don't judge me. Don't tell me I need to confess. But we've got to get there because, one, I know we're all sinners. We know this about us, and we have to acknowledge our sin in this because without acknowledging our sin, we know we've sinned. Without acknowledging it, there can't be confession, right? We have to confess this. Without confession, there's no forgiveness. If you don't have forgiveness, you miss a huge blessing of God. We've already started the sin process, so we need to get to the confession to get to the forgiveness to get to the blessing of God. So acknowledging our sin is closely related to the blessings that God gives, and we've got to walk this path. If not, unconfessed sin, um, there's something to that. It, it hurts. And don't, don't go here. I'm just, it's going to be on the screen. You can see this. But if we were to jump back to the 32nd chapter of Psalms, Psalm 32, I think that psalm is also closely related to this sin and his confession. David writes in this, he says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my, gro- through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Physical, emotional consequences to sin when you don't confess it. When you carry that load of sin around with you and what you've done, it gets heavy. There's relational consequences. It affects your relationships with other people. Um, that's big, who you live with, who you work with, who you do life with. There's spiritual consequences as well. The Bible actually teaches us that sin separates us from God. And we don't need to be separated from God. He wants us to be close to him. So Psalm 51, this is where we're going. This is the psalm that David wrote then in response to his heartbreaking after he realized what he had done. Um, The first thing he does is he turns to God. I know it sounds odd. He doesn't go to others to ask for forgiveness. He goes directly to God. Verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Mercy and grace. He's begging for God to do that. We're going to jump around a little bit. Look at verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. It was Nathan that came to him and said, David, you didn't trust God. That was your problem. It may not be specific, the specific sin is that you didn't trust God. 
And by him going directly to God, and if we look at that, David actually writes against you, only you have I sinned. And I know what most of you are thinking, because I think the same thing. (laughs) Really? Weren't there other people involved in this? Well, it doesn't mean that Bathsheba, that Uriah, that his family, that their families, that this baby wasn't hurt. It, It doesn't mean that he didn't hurt somebody else in the process. But what it does tell us is that sin is a sin against God. When we talk about sin, it's against God. Hurting each other is a horrible, bad thing. But that's not the horror of sin. The horror of sin is what it does to our relationship with God. That's why David says, it's against you, God, that I have sinned. I've hurt other people's feelings, yes, but it's against God that I have sinned. And he blames himself, not God. He takes it on. There's no self-justification. There's no defense in this. There's no escape. He doesn't say, God, why'd you make her so beautiful? If you'd have not made her so beautiful, I wouldn't have done that. Right? He doesn't blame God for it. He brings it on. God remains blameless through our sin. Now, for interpersonal relationships, for your friends that you hurt, absolutely you need to go to them. Yes, you need to go ask for forgiveness. Yes, you need to rebuild that relationship. But guys, they can't give you redemption. If you hurt my feelings or I hurt your feelings and we make up somehow, I I can't give you redemption. I can give you some of my forgiveness and we can work on our relationship, but redemption and grace and mercy only comes from God. Look at verse 2. If we jump back up to that, this is David. He says it this way, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. I can't do that for you. Only God gets to do that. Um, if, we, if we look down in verse 7, it says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. These are words that the priests would use. These are terms that priests used when they were making sacrifices back in this time period. And he's asking for that to be made for him. This is a radical, God-centered repentance for his heart. And yes, I get it. We're free to choose. We get to choose the words we use. We get to choose the actions um, of our day and what we do. But we're not free of those consequences that come with what we do. We still have consequences to everything that we choose to do. And David calls it a sin. So not only does he go directly to God, he calls it a sin. He calls it out for what it is. Verse 3, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. It's haunting him. There's guilt that comes with that. Now, I believe this. God can use it for good. Whatever we've done in our past, God can turn that into a good thing. But there's still the consequences to that. And we carry that around with us. He addresses his sinful nature. If we look at this, 5 and 6, this is where it can get confusing. Look at verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, okay, get this. Some of you, if you read it just for what it says on the page, you're like, did he just throw his mom under the bus on that one? No, no son should talk about his mom that way, right? Did he just call his mom a sinner? Well, she, she was, because she's human, so there's that. But no, he's not throwing his mom under the bus. He's going back to his sin nature who he is from the beginning, when he was conceived. How many of you that have children have to teach your children how to be bad? <laughs> you don't, right? They're pretty good at it. They're pretty, we know how to sin. We come up with it on our own. 
it's part of who we are. It's our nature. And he's going back to that nature of who he is. But he says, behold, verse 6, you delight in truth and in inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret place. Wisdom. To know the difference and to understand. I want you to notice something in this. And this is sometimes how we have to read scripture. I want you to notice what's not there. There's something missing in Psalm 51. And you might have to read it a couple times before it jumps out at you and go, oh, wait, it's not there. His specific sin. He said it right there. This is a heart issue. Notice, I think it's very interesting to know that nowhere in Psalm 51 does David mention sex or murder or lying or coveting. Nowhere in that does he mention his specific sin. Why isn't he crying out for restraint? Why isn't he begging for accountability partners? God, I need more accountability partners to hold me accountable so I don't do that thing again. Why isn't he looking to beef up his internet protection, right? Okay, for him it would be fences on their rooftops. I'm going to build a taller fence so I can't see over, so I can't look at that. Because it's not about behavior modification. It's a heart issue. It's our hearts that he's worried about. That's what God wants. The reason is because he knows that sin is a symptom. It's not a disease. It's a heart thing. David knew this about himself. I believe that you know this about yourself as well. The real need is not for me to stand up here and try and make you better. The real need for who we are is a change of heart. We need to change our hearts. So that's why in verse 10, we sang about it just a little bit ago. He writes, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And he says, restore to me. Notice as well, it's restore to me, not your salvation. I don't think he was scared of, of losing what God had promised to him. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. There's so much, there's something special about that that, Man, when we miss the joy of what God gives us, that's a heart thing, not a specific action thing. That is profound wisdom for us to look at what's not there and understand that. David is begging God for a changed heart. God, come in and change my Not just forgiveness, but a changed heart. Not just behavior modification, Not just a new list of things that you've done right or things that you've done wrong and what you need to change, but your heart behind it. Now, I believe, you know, as as a pastor, I've seen it, I've watched it, I know there is a time and a place to name out your sins. There's a time and a place to say, yep, this is what I've done. We do this with our kids, right? Tell your sister you're sorry. Sorry, nope. Tell your sister why you're sorry. What did you do? It's for us to understand what we've done. But I also know God doesn't want us to carry that around. He's not about just you overcoming I think there's a danger in that. Um, The danger in that is that we carry it with guilt. 
and we see how bad we are all the time. I also know there's a danger in that because when we do overcome that stronghold in our lives, then we can take the credit. Look what I've done. I've been whatever free for so many days now, and we count the days, which is, there's a place for that. But there's a danger in the pride in that as well. And it changes our hearts. Um, We need to remember that this is about heart change. I know God doesn't walk around with me saying, oh, good job, Devin, you didn't do that this time. Oh, good job, Devin, you changed on that. Good job, Devin, you're better at that than you were yesterday. What he likes is in verse 17. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God loves that. That's what he's after for us. Not necessarily correction modification or um, behavior modification, but a complete change of heart. And catch what comes with this. If we were to go back to chapter 32, verse 5, in this, when David writes it, he says, God forgave the guilt of my sin. Oh, this is huge. God just doesn't forgive sins, everyone. You got to hear it. God doesn't just forgive sins. He forgives the guilt that goes along with it. And some of you were raised in churches that piled on the guilt, whether it was from the pastor or the person sitting down the pew from you or your own family, that whatever you did, that's what defines you now. And the guilt that comes, yes, there are consequences, and you have to live with those consequences of your decisions the rest of your life, but you don't have to live with the guilt that comes with those for the rest of your life. And David is praising God for forgiving him of his guilt as well. Now, some of you, you've been through this. You've walked through confession before, and you've made this happen in your life. You've experienced the grace that comes with it. And when that happens, he says it in verse 13, then he will teach others. He says, I will teach others about you. Sinners will return. This is a great thing. He says, my tongue will praise you. I will sing aloud of your righteousness David says, I will declare your praise. When you have that clean heart, when God forgives that guilt as well, you have something in you that just wants to praise him and tell somebody else about him. If you haven't ever done that and you have this feeling of guilt on you, I want to do something with all of us this morning. Whether you have or you haven't, maybe you need to do it again. I want to close our time out this morning with a prayer. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us this morning. I don't care if you close your eyes. I don't care if you just sit there. I don't care, you know, how you receive this. There might be a time where it's just quiet as I pray for you on this. But I want to pray for our hearts today. And I'm not going to ask you to write anything down. I don't want you to write out your sins from the last week or the last month or the last year. You're not going to bring up your sins and place them at the altar. We're not going to burn them up. We're not going to nail them to anything. I I believe there is a time to write them out. I believe there's a time to name them. But that's not today. I don't want you leaving here thinking, look what I did. Look how good I am. I want you leaving here today with a fresh, clean heart, a renewed spirit, and a new trust in who God is and that he can forgive whatever has been on your heart lately. So if you would, just join me in this prayer and let your heart be open to what God can do for you. Let's pray together. Father, I'm grateful for who you are.
Not only did you create um, the whole world, you created us and our hearts. And you know us in our hearts. So God, when we do sin, and we know that we're there, when we do sin, help us to come back to you. Knowing that there's not punishment that comes with that, but there's love and grace and mercy, and we beg for that. We beg for your mercy on us and our hearts and how we've strayed from you. And God, it's that sin. It's not that sin specifically. It's not the one that that is tough for me to let go of. But God, it's who I am. God, I'm not asking for you to make me better today. God, what I'm asking for is a heart change. Bring back some trust and some joy into my life, into my heart. God, I want to be a follower of yours. Not so that others can look at me, but so that I can be with you. God, bring your Holy Spirit into our hearts today. Bring your Spirit into us so that we can see where that connection needs to be. And yes, God, I do pray. I pray that our actions will follow our hearts. But God, let's work on our hearts. Change us in that. Give us a new spirit. God, take that guilt that we've been carrying with our past with our baggage, with the decisions that we've made in the past, take that guilt away from us as well this morning and renew your spirit in us. God, we love you. We thank you for your son. And it's in his name we pray this morning. Amen. Um. David also talks about this in the same psalm. It's the idea that when a sacrifice is made on our behalf, and in the Old Testament when a sacrifice was made, if it wasn't done and the purity of heart comes out, the sacrifice was in vain. And so I think it's important for us as we enter into a time of remembering what Jesus did for us and the sacrifice that he made for us, that we keep this clean heart of what God can do in us, that we keep this spirit about us. It's not about the rights and wrongs that you've done over the last week or so. It's about a change in your heart and who you are in him. Um, in, in verse 16, he talks about this, that God will then be pleased with the sacrifice. In verse 18, I also know that there is... <coughs> A line in there where David talks about the building up of Jerusalem. Guys, that's us. That's just church. We do this together. When we come together, this is how he builds his church. By remembering what Jesus did for us, that he was that sacrifice. And when we come to this time together, then we honor what Jesus did in the giving up of his life so that we can be forgiven.
There's some guys that are getting ready to pass around um, this thing we call communion. And in that is a tray, is a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice that represents the, the body that was broken, the blood that was shed by Jesus for our forgiveness. As they pass these, um, if you prayed that prayer with me, if you worked through that, this is a time then for you to remember um, what he has done for us. You can take one of each, hold that, and take that when you're ready. Let's pray together. Father, again, we're grateful for you, for your son, and what you have done for us. May we remember your son in this, and may we rejoice in the sacrifice that was made for us. We love you, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.